What is up, Ray Woodson here, and in week three, I'm gonna throw a change up at you. Instead of preaching to you to lead off, I'm gonna give you the son of a preacher man. A conversation I had over the weekend in San Francisco with former Giants third base coach Tim Flannery at the NBC Sports Bay Area Studios. We talked about baseball, we talked about life, we talked about the baseball life, we talked about how baseball can become life, which can be good and bad. We talked about his friend Bruce Bochy, what happens with him next year about Madison Bumgarner next year, about Flannery's family helping Harriet Tubman's Underground Railroad. Yeah, you heard me right, and a whole lot more. As you can tell, it was a wide-ranging talk, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. All right, uh, I said when I started this podcast that uh, we were going to have players, coaches, broadcasters to interview, and I got all three here with uh, Tim Flannery, who, of course, uh, longtime third base coach of the San Francisco Giants, now doing a lot of TV, including with NBC Sports Bay Area, and, of course, in his playing career with the San Diego Padres. And uh, I was thinking, uh, you and Bruce Bochy, you guys go back to the Pleistocene era almost. And I think it was actually like 1982. Two, we met each other. He had just got traded over from the Mets, and we started running around together and enjoying each other. And we played five years together, uh, and then I coached third base for him for 16 years. He fired me the first time after uh, seven years, and I needed to go home. It was in San Diego when they cut the payroll to $38 million, and we're pretending, and I don't pretend well. Uh, so when he got the job here in San Francisco he could only bring one coach with him and the, I'm the guy that he called and that's what he said they're trying to win up there they're not pretending I need you so it, it's been a real it's been a, it, it was a great run and uh, it, it's it's great to still w watch him do his thing can I ask you before I talk about Bruce a little more I mean at the end was it the travel that just kind of got to you or, or what was it well, the demand of it really is what got, especially at this place. The, the place about, I love about San Francisco, it's sold out almost every night. It was being, it was sold out every night. The, the history of it, the, uh, you know, you look from a distance when you're on other clubs and you see it just, it's different. And it is because the expectations of winning, uh, they don't ever go away. They don't ever say, well, like in San Diego, well, you're going to win in 2021. I'm hearing that now down there. Uh, it, it just after three world championships uh, and, and doing it for 20 years. I you know I managed in the minor leagues for four years, uh, and then I played 10 years before that. I just didn't feel like there was anything else I could do in the game. And as a coach, uh, you don't make enough money to just retire. I mean, I physically just felt like after the third time there was just there were other things in my life that were really uh important to me that I wanted to I wanted to be able to do something other than have a baseball game and prepare for a baseball game every single day I want you know I'm, I'm a grandfather now and I've got kids that are grown uh, I have a wife of 36 years who has been through it all and I felt like I was actually getting unhealthy. I felt like I was drinking too hard. I thought the travel, I don't mind the travel because I'm still doing it in my music, but uh, I just felt like I, I was losing who I am and I wanted to go home and, and get healthy and I really didn't even know what I was gonna do. Before game six in Kansas City, 
I, before I got on the bus, I called my buddy who's a mortgage broker, who a great friend. I go, Ronnie, I need a loan on my house. I, I, I got to get out of here. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, so I had already, in, in my mind, made up that uh, I was leaving. And uh, to be able to, then all of a sudden, things kind of fell in my lap with TV, which I'd done before. And, and, uh, and, and then I wanted to play a lot more of my music and, and focus on this nonprofit, the Love Harder Project that we do to, for anti-violence, anti-bullying. I wanted to surf. I wanted to float down rivers. I mean, we. I've had a. I've had a ball. <laughs> well, I can tell on Twitter. I mean, you're going all over the place. You're playing concerts. I, I saw you with the, the RV by the beach, stuff like yeah. that. I mean, so you're living the dream, sort of. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I we, I've been blessed enough to have played long enough, you know, and, uh, where I took my pension too soon because coaching, you don't make money, but uh, you know, I. I've always kind of lived in my means, and I've, I'm not about money, you know. I'm about doing what, uh, you know. I buried a lot of guys along the way, a lot of great friends uh, in the game of baseball. Uh, it, it looks glamorous, but there's some collateral damage that comes with it, and I saw the warning signs in my life. Yeah. Pays to be a soul surfer. Absolutely. That's my language. Out by myself, even if the south wind's blowing. Yeah. South wind sometimes can help, though, too. It keeps the crowd down. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Chatting with Tim Flannery here on the Triples Alley podcast. And uh, speaking of Bruce Bochy, I mean, these last couple of years, uh, I was talking to other folks about this. As much of the competitive fire that he says he still has, it's got to beat you down. But uh, the, the same premise, you don't want to end on that note either. You know, he has a way of dealing with it better than I, I could, you know. That was what happened to me in San Diego. I, we, they weren't really in a position uh, to win. And here, there are some now, after the, the great run, they are in a position where they need to figure out what direction they're going to go. Uh, with the constraints that they have contractually with some of the players. I, some of them you can't move. Uh, but he, he doesn't... This is what he does. This is what, you know, he said it. He goes, you have other things you like to do. If I retired, if I was done now, uh, I would probably just want to manage a baseball game. I mean, that's what he loves to do. I don't understand it the way my thinking is, but uh, it, it makes him happy. And, and he, he's got one year left on a contract, and he's not walking away from $6 million. And he would like to have one more shot to... to and, and then he probably would walk away. I don't know how many year, any more years he's going to do it, and I doubt if he'll go to another club. And the way the managers have changed in, in baseball, uh, they're, they're more into the, the mid-manager implementing the game plan from the front office that comes off of numbers and sabermetrics, and that's not Bruce Bochy. Yeah, that's what I was telling people about, for example, moves Dave Roberts has made in the last couple of years. It's not just Roberts talking there. Absolutely. I mean, that's... Uh, that's what kind of got us out of San Diego because it started that way and there was a, a guy would come into his uh, office almost daily and with a computer readout of who was supposed to play that night against that pitcher and where they were supposed to hit and Boach said not you again take <laughs> take that up and whoever's the I mean he let him have it and he won a division his last year, and then they he let him let him go. And Brian Sabian saw it and grabbed him as quick as he could, and and realized, hey, this is 
the old school guy that I need as a general manager uh, because, you know, the game is changing, general managers and managers. Uh, so the old school guys like, you know, Joe Madden, Mike Sosha, Buck Showalter, Bruce Bochy, the guys that have been doing it their way, making a lot of money. Uh, the, the new guys, Roberts, what you said, it is tremendous, but they're not paying the managers the way the way they uh, usually pay managers. Yeah. So, I mean, you had guys who were on the same page, you know, but what I see going on right now, and get your thoughts about this, there's a little tug of war going on. Uh, there are analytics folks. They're, they're not blind to analytics or new information, but there's an old school element, and they're, they're trying to work their way through that. You saw the change in the coaching staff last year, uh, and my sense is that because he's accomplished so much here, they give Bruce one more shot. What do you think is going to happen? I think they do because I don't think uh, I don't think they're in a position where it, look if they had a bunch of young kids coming up and they were going to rebuild this whole thing with young guys, I don't think Boach would would be too happy with that or they would be too happy with him after all these years the way he uh, I mean he could do it, but uh, at this point you probably gonna they're probably gonna do the same thing they did and go out because the front office didn't make a a, a really good attempt picking up McCutcheon, Longoria, Austin Jackson and and some of these made the bullpen better until they wore out uh, but I don't know if there's a lot coming uh, in in young players I think they're gonna have to rebuild with minor league free agents uh, which we've had some great success with those guys in uh, 2000 10 and two with Torres. I mean, the list goes on. So, uh, I think I think he's gonna they're gonna do what they did again this year one more time. Yeah, and then 2020 might be the rebuild year. What do you think happens with Bumgarner? Because that's going to be the big debate in the offseason. Uh, should they trade him, try to start the rebuild, but also get contributing players? You know, while he has some value uh, going into his final contract year, or do they wait till the midseason? How do you think they're going to play that? I think they should just go ask him. He might not want to be here. Uh, and the reason being is, not for the money, but he wants, to, I think, at this point, maybe get kind of closer to home on the East Coast, where, you know, Carolina's where he's at. Uh, he could make it a lot easier. I've had conversations with him that he's talking about, well, you know, I'd like to check out where you're out over there like in Half Moon because if I'm not here, I'd still like to be a part of the community once in a while and have a place to come back to. So if, in fact, that's where he's at, it will make it a lot easier to make a trade because he would be a guy that probably say. But uh, I think it depends on how you rebuild. If you have an opportunity to win, you will not get rid of Madison Bumgarner. But if you need him to start uh, a type of rebuild, uh, that conversation would be one that they probably already have had with him and his agent, or they will. Yeah, and, and a devil's in the details. If you get a big haul for somebody like that, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen, but there's possibility a team like the Yankees or the Braves comes along, a team that's got a deep farm system and says, we got guys who are ready to contribute now. Maybe they're blocked here. Some scenario like that could happen. Absolutely, and, and I think he's, you know, he knows. 
Look, he's the first guy that wants the younger guys out there in the outfield running balls yeah. down. I mean, we always hear him yeah. publicly say that. Uh, like so he, Duggar. Yeah. Absolutely. So he understands it. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Uh, and I don't think there's I don't think you go into this offseason with this or at least they don't have it right here right now this great plan because they don't know what will be offered uh, and that will determine if you put somebody on the market. Yeah, I don't think you can be binary about it and just forge ahead. You got to let the chips fall where That's they right. may. And yeah, you know, like I say, they got. I think they got one more year uh, under the current situation. Larry Bear says they're going to shake things up. Uh, you know what does that mean? It means different things with different teams. But I'd imagine, as far as the the lineup they put out in the field, the hitters, that's going to be some changes there. I think they have to at least get some players, or they need to force the ones here to play. A, uh, if you're not hitting the ball out of the ballpark, you have to be able to go first to third. You got to be able to create scoring opportunities. You got to have, have make productive outs, and you get. And I know that that's not sexy anymore. And sometimes somebody I remember said to me, "Oh, we have to, we have to hope for productive outs." I said, "No, no. You, you get 27 outs. You got to hope." to hit for a half hour do you got guys who can hit three hits in a row four hits in a row a double a triple but you get 27 outs so why don't you use them to, to i mean we I, we were trained by dick williams if you didn't do that uh you were gone i mean i named my son daniel because i read daniel in the lion's den in the bible every day before i went to the ballpark to, to play for this great manager who was demanding well, I mean, if you're not hitting home runs, you'd better manufacture runs. Mm-hmm. You want to try to hit more home runs. You want to try to get guys who do. That's the game nowadays. But in this ballpark, if you, you've got to do a little bit of both, I think. You're never going to lead the league in home runs, but you've got to have some more. And then you've got to have guys who go from first to third. And I don't, I don't know if they're productive outs or not as unproductive outs because it depends on what the batter does after that, right? Yeah. But, but you've got to get those 90 feet wherever you can find them. No question. I mean, that, that, that's how we won championships here, you know. And even the, the teams that hit a lot of the home runs, I, I'm not sure that always plays when you get to the playoffs because of the pitching that you're facing. You have to be able to, to get a run home, and, and we did that. We won one world championship, and I don't think the ball ever left the infield grass. We called <laughs> it we called it the death by ground attack. I know we had a walk-off bunt. We had a couple of uh, RTIs, run th- runs thrown in, which is the, the new stat that us coaches came up with as a joke. And, of course, Brian Kinney, next thing I know, I'm working with him at MLB Network, and he's got it on television. He's got it on the legend there, along with everything else. That's right. Well, yeah. Uh, how's it work? How do you like uh, work with Kenny MLB Network and all that? I, you know, I did it for the last three years, and I really loved it. I, I loved the, the the preparation. It was almost like coaching, where you you have to know all thirty teams, and you uh, you know that travel got a little hard because I was still doing eighty uh, appearances here in San Francisco and forty back there. Um, it was it was a great experience, but uh, I decided to do more here and and not not go back there unless I'm needed in a fill-in position. Uh, Ron Wotus has been the third base coach this year, and I haven't heard anybody say a thing all year about a decision he's made. So that's a pretty good sign right there. He's fabulous. He's he's having an amazing year. We're you know. We, we're great friends. I text him all the time, or he'll call me all the time, and we talk about it and hang out still. And uh, 
he's fabulous. It's and, and the reason I say that, I don't know if I was good or if I wasn't good. You know, I never really, I just knew I did it 20 years. For him to come in after not doing it for 16 years and have the success and getting guys thrown out or not getting thrown out, that's not how you judge anybody. Because when I first came up to San Francisco, I remember, uh, you know, I got a guy thrown out and Mr. McGowan said, well, you got another guy thrown out. And I said, well, if you wanted safety first, you should have hired a school crossing guard, you know? So there are times you got to push the envelope because you have to know what your offense, you can do the right thing and try to win the game, or you can protect yourself and hold people. But with the offense here, uh, you got to roll the dice and he's been great, if not perfect all year. And if you get thrown out of the plate by an inch, and it's a guy with a great arm who made a perfect throw, what can you say? You, you tip your hat to the, to the right fielder or whomever. Yeah, and I got out before the replay. That, that, would have, that would have taken fun away from me because I would run down that line, and sometimes I could chase him down and then throw a safe sign, and the umpire in his moment of indecision might have seen me go safe, and he called him safe. <laughs> now they go in there, that wouldn't work, so... I got out just in time. Paced a lobby, yeah. Your, your, 20, your 20 time was pretty good, though, even at the end. Well, you know, I always said I, I had a paper route as a kid, and I remember getting chased by German shepherds and stuff when you're going by on your bicycle. And I always pedaled faster, so I figured if you, you run faster if you get chased by a dog. <laughs> Tim Flannery joining us for a couple more minutes. How many times have people on Twitter said, stick to sports? Uh, well, if they do, I usually blow them off immediately and get them off. Because, you know, the funny thing is, when you get... And I did stick to sports when I was playing as a 28-year-old and 27-year-old. But when you're 60, uh, you got a mom on Medicare. I'm about to take Social Security, which I've given a lot, all, a lot of money to over the years. Uh, i got a son with epilepsy, and, you know, his insurance is getting weird so there are some things that matter to me and then i look at this and i always tell people this i think i might have paid two million dollars in taxes over the since i was a kid you know and then all the years of baseball and the world championships and all of that so i can have an opinion that's how i look at it you know that's i'm an american i'm a citizen we immigrated from ireland we settled in the appalachia we became uh, some of the first settlers into the Cherokee. My family worked for the, the Underground Railroad with Harriet Tubman, freeing, you know, getting people and getting slaves out of the, out whoa, of the whoa. country. Whoa, uh, whoa. Stop right there. Uh, tell me that story real quick. Well, I have a song. If anybody wants to check it, it's on iTunes and, or YouTube. You can put these on. and It's called Freedom. And my family's still in the back mountains of Kentucky. We bury my father in a, uh, you know, right in the ground behind the tobacco barn with Elkanoff Flannery, who was in the Civil War and died. I have his death certificate. He was was with the Union Army. He died of laryngitis. And I'm thinking another Flannery that sang himself or talked himself to death. And then all my grandparents are in, in the ground right there, you know. So when I go up there, my uncle, my dad's brother, took me out and he goes I want to show you these the, the lines are still here the underground railroad lines where they wow. would take them to freedom and t- told me about the signs that they would have and being a third base coach with the signs that I, I looked at it that important that 
you know, if you got the signs wrong that Harriet Tubman had, like the, the lantern on the hitching post or, or these types of signs, you would die. So it was so important. You had to know the signs. Uh, so I'm pretty invested in my beliefs. Uh, and then I come from, uh, my dad was a, a hillbilly minister, a preacher that uh, did it a long time, had we traveled a lot, had a huge congregation, and uh, he could he had both oars in the water, as all my buddies would say. He could be in a, a mountain man. He could uh, he could drink you under the table with moonshine. And we had a, when I was a kid, we were in Inglewood during the Watts riots. Uh, we would get phone calls, and and they said if you preach this week, we're going to blow you out of the pulpit. And my father, being a Kentucky man preached that Sunday with a gun in his jacket. So I'm a, I got a, a gumbo mix of, uh, <laughs> a, of opinion and a, a gumbo mix of freedom, uh, and I'm willing to die for it. Well, let me tell you something. I mean, you know, you're invested, and even if somebody isn't as invested and they're a citizen of this country, they got a right to speak out. So I, never, I would never tell somebody, stick to teaching mm-hmm. or stick to plumbing Absolutely. or whatever else. And so I think that the tables are turned in that regard. And if you see something wrong, you should say something about it. Uh, I use the analogy before we started. If there's a five-alarm fire and you've got a fire hose, you've got to use it. And that's kind of the way I've looked at it the last couple of years. I'm a direct descendant of a Civil War general fighting Joe Hooker. Okay. Not one of the best Civil War generals, but he was a Civil War general. So, uh, you know, I guess I'm invested in it too. But whether or not I was, you know, that's if you see something in this country that you think is wrong, you should speak out. I will tell you that I know that not everybody can because of employers. Uh, I, I actually got off Twitter at one time and back at MLB Network, Kelly Nash, the little beautiful soft soul, says, Tim, we got to have you back on. You're our voice. We need a voice. You're not afraid. I, you know, I. Uh, what I also do with all my music is I have this anti-bullying and anti-violence program we give all the money to that in schools up and down the coast up in Redding all over California and other places Uh, so the the climate and the uh, of how people are treating one another is creating so much uh, division and so much bullying and so much hatred it's not right. And if I'm the president of an anti-bullying uh, program and giving every cent I make from my music to this, it's hard for me to, to, to agree with somebody that says this is normal behavior and we're, I'm talking about the president. So uh, there are some things going on in this country that I think are against what our people died for. Uh, my uncle Jimmy was in five of our bloodiest battles of our country's wars. Uh, I've got another song called "He Ain't Coming Down the Mountain." Uh, all of it's free. Go listen to it on YouTube or iTunes, or if I give the money away if you download it. I have twelve records out. Most of the songs are are songs that about either the characters I met on the road or about baseball stuff. Even though it won't sound like baseball stuff to you. Uh, or about the love of, uh, of, of a God that uh, I grew up uh, worshiping and, and understanding and, and, and believing that, uh, you know, you, you need to help other people. Yeah. I think that's the one question. Uh, you know, when it's time to go, who would you help? 
I think that's what it comes down to. When's your next show? Uh, October 13th, uh, we start up again. I just played a couple times this last week. We're, 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 it's hard to do it during the baseball season. I kind of play some of the festivals. October 13th, I'm in Napa. Uh, October 28th, I'm in San Diego. Then we come back to uh, Reading. We go to Fresno, go to Chico a lot. Uh, I come play the Fox Theater here at Redwood City, I think, in April. TimFlannery.com, you can check it all out there. How's uh, Brian Stowe doing? He's doing fantastic. He's doing amazing. He is a guy that goes into these schools and he has this program. And people, and the, the, he's making a huge difference. The kids know it's not some processed, uh, you know, production put together because you have to, because a couple bucks are there from the school board. He's going in there making kids take an oath, telling a story how he was beat up by adult bullies. Uh, you know, he's still living tough. He's got a lot of a lot of disabilities and still uh, coming back. But he believes that everything happened for this reason. And he started his own nonprofit and just got awarded uh, for this award here in the country. And they gave him a grant to, to send to his favorite uh Nonprofit, and we just got a check from Brian Stowe for our nonprofit wow. after we helped him yeah. uh, all the years. So it's just amazing. Very cool. He's he's a remarkable man. That's uh, for sure. Tim, it's been great hanging out with you. We've got to do it again sometime, and maybe next time bring your guitar. If there was a song right now I could think of in my head, it would be Tom Petty's "I Won't Back Down." Oh yeah, we I love him. I we. We, we sometimes do a petty song. I recorded Scare Easy. Yeah. You know, that's out there, too. You guys can, anybody can check out. I just found out that YouTube has all my records, and all you got to do is go to YouTube, and they have every song on YouTube oh. for free. So wow. I give it all away anyway, so I try to, <laughs> and I have a Pandora radio station. Punch my name in. You get free, free music there, too. All right. Sounds good. Keep on being the troubadour. I have the, the warrior poet. <laughs> Tim Flannery joining us on Triple's Alley Podcast. And by the way, I don't mind Tim plugging his songs because he gives the music away and he performs for his foundation. And there's some pretty good music there. I remember interviewing uh, Tim on the radio a few years ago and he talked about road trips where he would practice in the stairwells of hotels because the acoustics were good. Maybe also because you weren't bugging the room next door to you. Well, now he's on the road. He's playing music, but it's on his schedule. And he has an outlet after baseball. As mentioned, for Bruce Bochy, that's what he knows, baseball. The guess is Bochy and Brian Sabian get one more year, but watch for Hensley Mullins and David Bell to become more prominent. By the way, check out Andy Baggerly's uh, interview in The Athletic with David Bell about changes made in the minor league system, including extra coaches and rearranging the offseason calendar. These are changes along with the maturing of young talent like Elliot Ramos, Jacob Gonzalez, Jalen Miller, Joey Bart, and Logan Webb that will probably yield results in a year or two. Won't be enough to help with the classic rebuild in 2019, however. That's on the front office. The last two years are the result of bad decisions and bad luck with injuries. But you've got to have the depth to withstand the bad luck, and they don't have it. Not yet. Barring trades that uh, bring major young talent to the upper levels in 2019, they're not going to have it next year either. But they have a playoff caliber pitching staff with more arms coming. And as Flannery said, 
Bochi will want to manage a team that tries to contend. He and Sabian get one more swing at the end of their contracts to do just that. All focus is on Bumgarner, though. Do they re-up him, trade him, or kick the can down the road until midseason 2019? My educated guess right now is the last example. Trade other players and prospects to get a corner outfield bat or two, plus a mid-level free agent signing. Try to stay in it to the trade deadline next summer, and then we'll see. I know. I know. It doesn't sound exciting. And it may not sound exciting to Bumgarner either, as as Flannery alluded to, so uh, stay tuned for that as well. It's another angle I had not considered, Bumgarner's attitude toward this roster in 2019. I wonder who uh, Brian Sabian was referring to, by the way, when he said hitters that uh, don't have a nose for the RBI. And I know the RBI stat is downplayed. It's been put in the same category as the pitcher's win. It means little in analytics, but it means something to the players. It's to the point where the pendulum has swung all the way in the other direction, to where wins and RBIs are totally devalued. In reality, they're not as valuable as we once thought they were, not even close, but they're not meaningless. You know, get base runners, yes, but somebody's got to knock them in. No matter what you think of RBIs, it's never a good sign when a team has nobody with even 60 RBIs for the season. Like the Giants right now. That's pretty pathetic. So the lineup has to change, has to be more potent, has to be younger and athletic. But it's the same story. With the pitching, it doesn't have to be a juggernaut. I repeat, it does not have to be a juggernaut. Just score four. The Giants play over 600 ball once again this year when they score four runs or more. But they've done it in so few games that hasn't made an impact on their overall season. It's like 1968 all over when you look at some of the stats that uh, they're rolling out this year. Not even a single player with 60 RBIs. That's incredible. They won Friday with a uh, Chris Stratton shutout. It was a gem. First complete game for the Giants this year. Only the seventh shutout in the National League this year. And then Bumgarner, the bullpen, with a Saturday shutout as well. They got to shut people out. And they lost on Sunday 3-2. to two. Bumgarner's walk-to-strikeout ratio declined this year. He got out of a lot of jams Saturday. The swing and miss stuff is not there. Only two strikeouts in six innings on Saturday, but he induced a couple of key double-play ground balls. Still a pretty good pitcher, but what will he be in his 30s? Will he be a guy that teams will uh, unload major prospects for or sign for a huge deal? That's an open question. It's sometimes there's a disconnect between what one team views its players' value to be and what other teams view the players' value to be. So that's the biggest question of the offseason. For the Giants, do they feel they can still assemble a good staff without Bumgarner, or do they see what's out there? It would be malpractice not to at least explore, and I think they will. Finally, did you see the Laz Diaz show Friday night? I know you probably uh, go to a baseball game to see the teams, to see the star players. You don't go to see the Laz Diaz show. Sometimes you wonder if some of these umpires think you're, you're paying to see them. So he's the plate umpire in the game between the Nationals and the Braves. Diaz and Bryce Harper had some confrontations. Uh, this after Harper showed some displeasure at a strike call. Uh, Harper didn't say much at the time, but later he saw a similar pitch called a ball against a Braves hitter. He's in the outfield, center field, and he throws his arms up in frustration, and uh, Diaz sees this. Now, he could have handled this a, a few different ways. First of all, he could have handled it by not escalating it. Not his style. He's yelling at Nationals manager Davey Martinez to handle Harper, to get him to stop, or he would, whatever that means. Yep, Laz Diaz is going to put me in a position 
of defending Bryce Harper. That is not easy to do. I mean, Harper's gesture is not appreciated, and it would not be appreciated by any umpire, but Diaz could have ignored it until maybe between innings and, and talked to Martinez and talked to Harper and said, hey, cool it. I don't pre- appreciate that. But he has to step out from behind home plate and raise his arms and, and make a big deal about it. Now, according to the Washington Post, when Harper ran off the field between innings, Diaz walked toward him once again and hollered. Harper kept his head down, ran into the dugout. Sure enough, Harper's next at bat in the seventh inning, Diaz was going to make him pay for that uh, imagined transgression. He calls a strike on a pitch six inches off the plate, as if to bait Harper, and Harper kept his cool. Now, we know that this is a game played by human beings. As Tony La Russa said, they are men, not machines. And umpires are human. And umpires have biases. And it, sometimes it gets in the way of calls either consciously or subconsciously. In this case, quite consciously, to the point that it strikes at the integrity of the game. If an umpire is letting a personal issue affect his job that much, that's a problem. Yeah, it's late in the season. Nerves are frayed. A lot of people thinking about uh, tea times and fishing trips. But that's still no excuse. Yes, the umpires are human. They do a good job, but they make mistakes. And I think players can handle it if an umpire makes a mistake and owns up to it. But this is just getting personal ego in the way. So the game may address this in the coming years with the uh, declining role of umpires. But this is what we've got for now. Martinez wants Major League Baseball to look into this incident, and I think they should. All right, that'll do it for Triple's Alley Report for this week. Once again, thanks to Tim Flannery for joining us. We will continue to have players, coaches, broadcasters, officials surround the game over the next several weeks as uh, the season winds down for the Giants in the next couple of weeks, but then we get into the postseason. If you have any suggestions or guest ideas, uh, drop me a line on Twitter at RayWoodson925. We'll talk to you next week.